Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the 35th episode of the Great Expectations Podcast. I'm Sean. And I am Jerry. And we are here today to talk about the fabulous Uncanny X-Men number 180. Do you want to get right down to business, Jerry? Jerry has somewhere to be, folks, so this is going to be lightning round. But before we talk about issue 180, Sean, we have a little business to attend to. Because... Previously on X-Men... Mystique and the Brotherhood attacked the X-Men, trying to get Rogue back, and uh, they froze Colossus. Kitty was pushed off a building and squished, only it wasn't Kitty. Yeah, so it's all okay. It's all good. It's just some dead, homeless, probably prostitute, drug-addicted downer. This is what Claremont does. Let's pep it up. Yay! So, after the X-Men dealt with that issue... Kitty had been kidnapped by the Morlocks. Set to marry uh, Jerry. I mean, Caliban. <laughs> Jeroban. <laughs> yeah, it would have been so beautiful. It would have been. But I loved her too much. I had to let her go. That's what your wife was hoping you'd say on your wedding day. So that's it. The X-Men are all alive, well, unmolested, and living above ground. Yep. The new mutants through Xavier a birthday party. They or, uh, did. No, it was a surprise party. It oh, it oh, was to make him feel better because Lelandra had returned to space. Yeah. It was a birthday party for magic, yeah, no, it was, but it was, only after man, they had planned it. It was oh, it was Charles Xavier's, your chick's getting boned by Scott Summers' father. Here's a Polaroid <laughs> picture of it. Party. <laughs> Poor Chuck. Yeah. He's got it so rough. Like the next day he goes out to the mail, <laughs> opens it up, it's a picture of Lelandra. All you can see is the feather hair, Corsair. <laughs> Arms behind his head, peacocking just like his kid. Yeah. So that brings us up to date, and we are ready to get into... Wait! No! There was one key thing that we missed. Yes. Right at the end of the party, when Doug Ramsey pulled his best uh, Professor Xavier and was peeking through the window, he announced to Kitty that he was going to the Massachusetts Academy. And Kitty was like, well, hell no, cuz... That's where the Hellfire Club is. That's true. Which brings us to... Uncanny X-Men number 180, with one of my favorite covers by John Romita Jr. All these covers are kind of spoilery. Like I don't know. I, this ruins surprises, all these covers. <laughs> You've got Storm swooping Kitty Pride with her sweet leg warmer and knee-high boots. Have not seen that combination before, but I dig it. Swooping her up into the air. You know what's missing from this cover is Kitty's headband. Yeah. That's heinous. You got to have the headband, man. It's the 80s. We open 
on this book written by Chris Claremont with pencils by John Romita Jr. and inks by Dan Green and Bob Wyacek. Colors by Glenna Sween and lettering by Tom Orzakowski. Louise Jones, soon to be Simonson, is still the editor of the book and Jim Shooter is the editor in chief. Damn it. And this book is entitled, Whose Life Is It Anyway? Sean, first thing you need to know about a Professor X who has the ability to walk after 20 years in a wheelchair, dude is a baller. I would have totally been like, this is so lame when I was younger, but reading this now, (laughs) like when he was doing his little moves, I was like, oh my God, he's been waiting for this. Like, this is one of those moments that he was like, if I ever get out of this fucking chair. (laughs) So, uh, for those of you that have not read this issue, splash, splash pages are generally reserved for really awesome special action. Uh, the more awesomer, the better. And the opening splash on page one of issue 180 is Professor X in the basketball court. And uh, (laughs) this has got to be the corniest thing from this entire run. No, I mean, I love it, but I I laugh every time I see this page. This so this is just the gymnasium because I was trying to figure this out when I was reading this because I'm like it could be the danger room I guess I thought it was maybe the danger room but when did the danger room have that many seats and like it doesn't have an observatory deck it just has the control room right well I mean, it could be it could be a mirage yeah, it doesn't have to do, be real really would you He's not want to be sitting in those seats right mirage, now mirage why wouldn't he have people in the seats cheering him on good point right if it was the danger room he would be fucking juking fools or whatever the kids say i'm not a basketball fan right (laughs) (laughs) is that what the kids say jerry yes that's exactly what they say but now i don't want to discount the possibility that he could have been a wheelchair basketball player but look at the banner there's even a banner hanging in the rafters that says Xavier School Basketball 1972 to 1973. I assume it's a championship banner. And I want you to know that when I read this issue, like, I started to do this whole backstory in my head of, like, Gene cheering everybody on. Maybe she was on the team. She probably pushing was. Pushing boundaries. I know. Look at me. You know what's interesting, though, is he talks later about how he loved sports as a kid, but he yeah. had to give them up because he had an unfair advantage. It would be weird if he fielded his team of X-Men to play against normal kids well, like, and they won a the championship. Was like, who did they play against? <laughs> but Xavier's like, I'm just probing just the tip. Just, <laughs> just, you know, he does it again. <laughs> but yes, 72-73, that's got to be, that's the dead era for the X-Men. Yeah. There were no issues coming out. This is like... So when I read John Burns' The Hidden Years, this is what I have to look forward to? The (laughs) 72-73 comeback season? (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. But uh, where does he find these moves, man? The dude's been sedentary for years, and he can dribble... Like, I don't care how good a dribbler you, you were. If you haven't touched a basketball in 20 years, I don't think you can do this. I think we've said enough about basketball. So uh as he's winding down, he's missed his big shot to win the championship. Um He's mind-blasted again by this alien source, worse than ever. And uh, he's recovering from it when Storm walks in. And you got to wonder if she's been watching him the whole time. Right. Like, what a doofus. Look at him. Yeah. Look at him with his little yellow headband on that bald head. 
But um, they have a conversation and they kind of open up to each other. These two have never really struck me as being close. And the more that Storm turns into New Storm, like the less close I feel like they were. But this is a a real heart-to-heart moment where um, Professor X, you know, kind of this is where he tells Storm and and the reader about his his athletic past. And, uh, And then Storm opens up about what's going on with Kitty and what's going on like in her own head. She's freaking out, you know, with all these changes in her personality. She's worried that she's starting to lose her mind. Like maybe, maybe it's just her going crazy. And this is a typical conversation between a man and a woman where he talks about sports and she talks about her feelings. But, um, he probes her mind. Um, wait, wait, before he even probes her mind, let's get over the like, Creepy touching of her arm and the, I've never thought of Storm. Oh, how did before. I? Yes. How did I miss this? I'm suddenly all too aware. All too aware. He's like in his tight little gym shorts and he's like, shit. <laughs> suddenly I'm all too aware he's, that Storm is an attractive female. He's, he's holding the clipboard or the ball, the basketball in front of his junk. Maybe she won't notice. Oh, this is like, let me just, let me just, just probe your mind just a little bit. No, yeah. you're not, you're not crazy. Which is good. I mean, she's just changing. That's it's just creepy. People change, but yes, he's totally creepy. Um, and he, he offers that he could go deeper if she wants him to go deeper. <laughs> she's like, he no, the basketball. you, <laughs> you've gone deep enough. You've gone as deep as you can go. I I will go take care of it myself, <laughs> which is something I hear all the time. <laughs> uh, so uh, we cut to Kitty Pride and her new BFF, Doug Ramsey, that fucking cuckold. I hate this dude, man. Right now, I hate this dude. Yeah. Uh, they're at the arcade. And there is nothing more 1984 than an arcade. And I miss arcades packed with video games. I'll never forget the first time I went to Chuck E. Cheese for a birthday party. I was like, I am in heaven. Do you, I mean, you, you probably aren't old enough to remember Chuck E. Cheese at the height of its arcade time. Like by the time you got there, it was probably like the first time I went in after a while and it was all, um, ski ball and, yeah. Ticket spitting crap. Yeah. Love video game. Our classic arcade machines are like, I don't even know how to describe it, but I, I see one and things move. Nice. Yeah. You become all too aware how attractive they are. <laughs> I do. Uh, but these two are pretty good at all things computer, and that includes games and the, uh, the ornery owner of the arcade kicks him out. That's another one they've been kicked out of, Sean. Yeah. Oh, they go off. They're like, all of them. We're getting run out of town. They're like Tom Cruise and Paul Newman in The Color of No Color of no, no Money. <laughs> one beer, Why Jerry. am I drinking? It's so early. What else? I mean, what else is there to say? They, uh, they retire to a McDonald's and, um, they're sipping some shakes oh and God, eating some really fries. I didn't realize that before. I can't. Take, Doug, I can't take Kitty seriously when she has that stupid headband on. <sighs> it's pretty horrible. That's the time, though. I know. I do like the way that Ramita draws her, though. She's pretty cute. Yeah. But um, 
She looks 25. She does. <laughs> you say to make yourself feel better. I'm just saying she does. She looks 25. Doug makes his move by saying, hey, I noticed that you've been act- acting really down lately. Is it is it something I did? Like, let's talk about you and me and our relationship. I'm not going to bring up Peter, the guy that you've been making out with that you love. Yeah. She's like, oh, no, Doug, whatever gave you that idea? I like you, ellipsis, a whole lot. Fucker. Son of a bitch. And he, he plays it so cool. This is this is where Jerry would always miss the mark. I hope He's he like, dies oh. a painful death. Feelings mutual. So why the grumps? You're so slick, Doug Ramsey. Fuck you. And then she opens up about Aurora. So now now she's having this talk with Doug that she should be having with Peter. So that they can be in love forever and get married and live out their dream life together. But no. it's I don't think it's going to happen, Sean. It will happen one of these days. <clears throat> anyway. Doug reaches across the table, puts his hand on hers. She reciprocates. <laughs> but... We're reminded that there's a third party involved in all of this, and that's one Peter Rasputin. Yep. Cuts after she's done lamenting all this crap to Doug and starts worrying because he's like, hey, I want you to come with me to the Massachusetts Academy. And she's like, I don't really want to go, but I got to make sure Doug's safe. Then it cuts to Westchester, and you see a tree getting cut down the legit way. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Peter Colossus is um, cutting it down with an axe. Yep. Shaking things up a little bit. But he's, you can tell, he's still pretty busted up from his encounter with the Brotherhood of Mutants. Arm in a sling. And uh, he's chopping this tree down one-armed. And then all of a sudden he notices uh, Logan starts talking to him, which I think is pretty interesting and shows you a lot about Logan. Like, I found this scene to be interesting from his perspective just because, like, there's a dude that's, like, clearly enjoys little things because he's just watching colossus like i don't know if he's teasing him because he's watching him get his torment out on this tree or if wolverine's just like i like watching people cut down trees but (laughs) he's sitting there drinking a beer basically colossus is like don't you have anywhere else you'd rather be than watching me do this and uh i found the the so colossus is just he's just had his ass kicked by the the brotherhood his arms in a sling he's in his human form and when Coloss- or when uh wolverine mentions he's like you got no business tearing yourself up over kitty he turns to steel the second that kitty's brought up like i understand that that he's turning to steel to rip the trunk out of the tree not necessarily but i think that he's shutting himself down emotionally yeah like this mere mention of her name by logan he's just like nope not going down there turns himself into steel cold shut off and he starts talking about how, like, how he feels about Kitty, but she obviously doesn't feel the same way. And Logan's like, basically, you're a dumbass. She sacrificed herself to the Morlocks, was going to live down there with Caliban just so that you could get safe. Like, obviously, she has feelings. And Colossus is like, I wish I was as certain as you. And in the saddest panel I've ever seen, like, this is a heartbreaking moment. Like... Holy shit. He just says Douglas Ramsey is everything. He looks at Wolverine and he's in his like 
cold like steel just stares at him just blankly and he's like douglas but really Ram- he's looking at us oh like he's God. he's yeah. talking right to us douglas ramsey is everything i am not and can never be watching kitty with him listening to them brings home some brutal truths i am an ignorant peasant from a society and culture as alien to her as any we've encountered in space. Kitty was a dream, my friend. Perhaps it is time at last to wake, wake and face reality. What the fuck? I, so... Why would you ever care about superheroes punching each other when you get that? <laughs> Reading that, it, we've been talking about this moment for the last, what, month and a half? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like this is this is one of those one of the big I, I don't know this is what the x-men is about to me there's something about the x-men where um they are among the mightiest superheroes on the planet they can overcome almost any obstacle except for the bullshit baggage that they carry in their own heads like every single one of them is broken, has no self-esteem. Like, but what great, like hats off to Claremont for making the like strongest X-Man out there. Like the one with crippling emotional issues, like crippling self-doubt, like strongest one that's out there, but doesn't know how to fucking even believe in himself. Like in it, in it, in the next panel, when you see, like, Wolverine kind of cutting back at him with, like, the, if that's the way that you feel, idiot, you've already lost. Like, just the look on his face. Like, you can already see what's coming in 183. That Wolverine's, like, had enough of his shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Having the the advantage of, right. of knowing what's coming. Um, Wolverine is super fucking creepy in that panel. Right? It's just a, a close-up of his, like, super close-up of just his eyes. And he's looking at... Colossus like he's lunch. Yeah. I don't like it. It's a pretty great sequence. I don't know. Yeah, it's one of my favorites too, man. I know you really dig it though. Like you you on you are underselling how much you really love yeah. that. Yeah. I just it that fucking character really gets to me now. Colossus is awesome. I know. I I mean, I could see people really hating his personality because he's so I don't know. I don't know what, I don't want to use any words that I would hate, but like weak spirited or whatever, but I don't know. But like, I mean, when he's talking to like, he had an idea mapped out in his head. Cause even when he's talking to Logan, he's like, you know, if we were in Russia right now, Kitty and I could be married. Like he had this idea in his head of how everything was going to play out. And it's just not happening because he's so unsure of himself in his place. And he hasn't like found out how he fits into the thing i don't think he doesn't i mean he said it, he doesn't really fit here he this isn't where he belongs he belongs home in russia and it's even sadder that he continues to like sacrifice himself to try to make it better yeah people really missed the boat when they were like wolverine's the coolest one <laughs> wolverine's pretty fucking awesome it's yeah. hard when you no. have a five-member team and every single one of them kicks ass it really is. How do you pick a favorite? I don't understand how you could read other comics at this time period. <laughs> Dude, there weren't other comics uh, at this period. 1984, the Avengers were balls. This every, was the book. Okay, because every time I go back like to read some Avengers stuff, and I know I want everybody, I mean, I 
currently read Avengers. I've read Avengers most of my life. Like, I don't have it out for them, contrary mm-hmm. to popular belief. But there's something about going back to some of those old stories, and some of them are great. But then some of them, I'm just like, why the fuck do I give a shit about any of these characters? Yeah. they. I mean, they had some great time periods yeah. when when Byrne and Perez were on the book. And, um, I mean, in the 60s, they, they, it was a better book than the X-Men. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. But um, in the early 70s, it, the, the Avengers was still really strong. And all through the 70s, really. But by this time... Well, that's it it was a second-rate book, yeah. man. It really wasn't very good. The roster was whack. I did not care for that. It was like uh, Doctor Druid and Star Fox and um, the new Captain Marvel, and I just like I did not dig on any of that. But you know what's awesome? And I will say this: that there's somebody out there that loves that shit because that was their first oh, comic. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I mean, I read it because I loved the Avengers from. The, reading it as a kid when beast was on the team and the whole beast and, and uh wonder man relationship and uh really good art all through that time period. When I was first reading it in the late seventies, I dug the book and I stuck with it because of that. Yeah. I wasn't really enjoying what was going on until we got, um, John Buscema drawing it. And you had that, um, the arc where, um, the Masters of Evil attacked Avengers okay. Mansion. Yeah. That was fucking awesome. But before that, the book was weak, man. This the X Men was where it was at. Yeah. The, I mean, it's the hottest book in comics, and 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 we're proving why with yeah, every issue I, that I we mean, read. I mean, no disrespect to the Avengers titles. It's just when I was into comics and reading comics, they were not. I mean, I was reading. I started reading when they were in fucking bomber jackets. <laughs> right. Like, right, yeah, well, there's plenty of people that really dug that. I'm sure. I mean, I like Black Knight and stuff, and some of the stuff that I saw, obviously, like, I got wrapped up into it because it crossed over with the X-Men, but it never had the emotion, I guess, emotionally. Like, it never had the emotional tug that the X-Books did. Yeah. Like, the Avengers was always, like, big super heroics, but it felt like quiet moments were lacking in the books that I saw. I don't right. know because I'm not an expert, but well, I do like the idea that you've got one team book that's more character driven, and then you've got one that's more bombastic action. That I mean, I think that gives everybody something. Yeah. So it's good. I I'd, I'd rather have that than have two books. If the Avengers were, um, I mean, the Avengers when Bendis was writing it, kind of were the X Men. But, (laughs) you know, I like the idea of having one team that's kind of one way and then the other team that's something different. Yeah. It's probably why that was my favorite time period for the Avengers then. When Bendis was writing it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would have been when I was the most invested. Sure. A lot of people really hated that, that, but I liked it. The other day, because, like, I came in, I'd, like, left comics after the Morrison X-Men thing and then came back right after Civil War. And I just, I was thinking about like Secret Invasion the other night. And, um, like, cause that would have been the first event that I was a part of as a regular reader again weekly, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'd gone back and, you know, caught up with everything. And that, the reason I was thinking about it is just how tight everything was at that time. Period. Like how every book felt like it mattered and was important. And that's, and I kind of like missed that because that's the way 
this obviously that's the way the Xbox felt when I was younger mm-hmm. and especially now like the consistency between now meaning 1984 yes yeah. yes the consistency between like the new mutants and uncanny x-men like weaving together kind of so well they weave together so great so good yeah i mean and that's the advantage we're never gonna get back to a world where there's two x books and one avengers book it's i mean they make so much more money doing it the way they do it now yeah. It's it wouldn't be fair to expect it of them. But as far as storytelling goes, when you've got one writer writing two books and that's all the X-Men stories you're getting, it's so much tighter. Especially when he's concise and he's moving the plot along and he doesn't get distracted by bullshit like we're seeing right now. Well, yeah. We probably disagree about that. But um I don't know. We talked about maybe talking about the end of coming – to the end of the Bendis run. Maybe we should wait until it's wrapped up. It's probably not fair to judge before it's over. True. Yeah. I don't know. What well, should we save it and, and talk about it when the whole thing's over? Maybe do a retrospective of the whole yeah, that's run. Fine. It's, it's a big chunk, but yeah, not as big as you would have liked. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> anyway, getting back to this. Yes. Um, storm has headed to the Bronx to the botanical gardens and she's visiting her old plants from her uh, loft at the mansion. She's donated them to the botanical gardens and she's visiting them. And um, part of this scene, there's, there's a thing where she sees some, (laughs) some thugs mugging an old couple in the middle of the botanical gardens. And I'm like, like all the places I'd expect to get mugged that the botanical gardens is not one of them. Yeah. But she stops some muggers and she's bummed because at the end of the fight, she uses her powers to kind of put the fear of God into him, her goddess in her case. And she realizes the old couple she's just saved are like more freaked out by her than they are of the muggers that just beat the dude half to death. But um, she realizes like part of what had been freaking her out is that she was afraid she was losing touch with um the goddess aspect of herself where she was in touch with the earth. Like even when she was out in space, she was going um, during that brood saga. She was talking about how she had lost her connection to the earth and it was like killing her. Yeah. And there were uh, seismic events that would like cause her pain before that. And she was worried that she was losing that connection to the earth, but being here in the botanical gardens, realizing her plants were still talking to her and they were telling her, we need water. We need water. And, you know, she creates a little rainstorm yeah. that is such a big part of her personality for me as a reader of the X-Men. Like, this is Storm to me. Right. Um, but she realizes that part of her is still there. And she there's like a dichotomy between the the tough leader Storm and goddess of the African Savannah Storm. You know, they're both still there. Yeah. It's not that the other one has died. It's that she's both now. And she's trying to figure out how to resolve being of two worlds. And then Xavier telepathically enters her mind without permission, <laughs> telling her to get home. He's, it's just like picking up the phone for him. All it's, right. it's normal. That's not creepy. <laughs> Storm, the streetlights are on. Why aren't you home yet? <laughs> 
So he calls her home for a very important announcement. I kind of would have been pissed if I was Storm. Right? <laughs> because Kitty's just told Professor X that Doug Ramsey, who none of the X-Men give a fuck about, right? <laughs> has just said he's going to go interview with the Massachusetts Academy, and he wants her to go with him. And she wants to go to make sure he's okay. And she's not too freaked out because, as everyone knows, Emma Frost is in a coma. Right. Right? Mastermind left her in a coma when they last interacted in, it must have been, Uncanny 1. Editor's note, it was Uncanny X-Men number 169. X-Men. Get it! So, um, yeah, she's off... out of the picture so there's nothing to worry about probably but if there is something to worry about what's the contingency plan i i i just love the fact that xavier like i wonder why the academy's so interested in her it's probably because doug's a mutant and kitty's all what 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 <laughs> what 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 <laughs> and then xavier like oh my god and just setting up poor doug ramsey for the failure of a lifetime oh he's got powers but they suck so it'd probably be better if we just left him alone. So he, he probably doesn't, doesn't do even it. know yeah. he's a mutant. Just Jeez. let let the pretty boy just live his life. His power's language and clearly talking to people. No thanks. I can just enter their mind. Kitty goes to leave to get ready to uh, head out to the Massachusetts Academy. And before she can, she's swept up and blown out a window by a really pissed off Aurora. This is good. This really? is what we see on the car. I think this is good. Oh, man, because if I was already terrified of Aurora and then she blew me out of a fucking window and held me in the air. <laughs> Miles up. was dressed like a Ramon. I don't think I'd be fucking. <laughs> well, I mean, Kitty's shitting herself and she's mad that, that Aurora's <laughs> going to these lengths. <laughs> so I agree that maybe the way that they have Meanwhile, this interaction. Is still like fucking Doug Ramsey. Yeah, he's just staring into the fireplace, fuming like, in a steel form. You're like, I'm gonna murder you. Um, but what I'm saying is that the the conversation that they have is a good one. Like they get all the bullshit on the table, which is always a good thing. Yeah, I don't know if Kitty realizes she's being unreasonable and that people change, but she's pretty adamant that people should not change. Yeah. But Storm is kind of like, look. You're trying to make me your mom, and I am not your mom. I shouldn't have to be your mom. But she put, I thought it was a little hypocritical. Because right, she bit, put herself yeah. in that position. It's like, bitch, you shouldn't have tried so hard to be. Apologize to Stevie Hunter and her knees. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but that was the old storm. This is the new storm. Yeah. So I think they're entering a more, more of a peer relationship at this point. I was going to say adult relationship, but the implications there are maybe unacceptable. So um, she's like, you're an X-Men and I'm an X-Men and I'm going to change. And like, I need you there as my friend and my teammate. Like, I don't know what I'm going through right now. It doesn't make any sense to me either. And it would be really helpful if you were there supporting me through it instead of judging me. And they they hug it out. Yeah. They both cry. I, I read this to Chloe last night. This is what I was reading, and she came up and she's like, "What are you reading?" And I read it to her, and I realized how um, how many 
big words Storm uses in this conversation. And uh, Chloe was kind of losing interest pretty quickly. But she was like, why are they crying? And uh, I can't wait for her to be old enough to really tackle this herself. I think she'll dig it. But um, And then she was like, Dad, why are you Why crying? are you crying? Right. I didn't this time. Nice. But I have in the past. <laughs> Did I tell you about the one time where she was like, are you crying? And I was like, no. <laughs> I told her there was dust in my eye or something. That shit works on a kid. They believe that. Either that or she's like shaking her head silently. Then uh, cuts to the airport where Doug Rams is all, hey, we're only going to be gone for a week. Don't worry. Plenty of time for me to show you the powers of my tongue. I mean my tongue powers. I mean my language powers. My powers over tongues. (laughs) What? Peter smashes Xavier's chest. <laughs> oh my god. They get on the plane and they're making small talk and chit chat. And an announcement is made from behind the curtain. And who steps out? But that old bitch. Emma Frost, the White Queen. I'm ever so glad you decided to accompany Douglas. I've taken the utmost care to ensure that your stay with me is quite unforgettable. And Kitty, as loud as she can, projects, Professor Xavier, help! The one time she wants him to be able to read her mind. Right. And you would assume he probably is because... We know how he operates, right? Yep. He's there. You know he's there. Not this time, Sean. Jim Shooter's got other ideas uh, in mind. Toys have to be sold. And so we cut to the Uncanny X-Men in the Rolls-Royce at Central Park, driven there by an unknowable force that compels them to walk into the middle of the park where they find a giant white technological Building. I don't know how to describe this thing with a huge black opening in the middle. And they want to fill it <laughs> with their bodies by walking into it. He and the X-Men find themselves drawn en masse to the Titanic construct, try as they might, with all their might to resist. And once within the gate, they vanish from the earth, from reality as they know it, perhaps never to return. Sean will see this same scene play out in every major comic on the shelves in this month of 1984 because these x-men along with all your other favorite heroes are being teleported to battle world to duel it out with the earth's mightiest villains in secret wars and we're going to be talking about that in just two weeks i can tell you're excited (laughs) just uh Mostly excited that it lined up perfectly so that it would be, we'd be talking about Secret Wars right before they go and do it again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the hot thing right now. Everybody's talking about the new Secret Wars series. So, time to change gears, Sean, because sadly, this is the last Uncanny X-Men issue we're going to be talking about for about a month. You shouldn't tell people that. They're not going to listen now. We've got plenty of great shit coming. I mean, the fact that we're able to set Uncanny X-Men aside on an X-Men podcast and still be so excited, or me at least, about the things that are coming before that, 
It says big things about the stuff that's coming. I'm not excited at all about Secret Wars. <laughs> Find out in two weeks. <laughs> uh, be excited that you can tell Jim Shooter exactly what you feel about it. Oh, I will. So, we are now on to... X-Men! New Mutants number 15, which has a creepy cover by Tom Mandrake yep. of... Uh, some kind of demonic mist coming out of Ilyana's eyes. This issue was written by Chris Claremont with pencils by Sal Buscema. Tom Mandrake is the inker, as he has been for the last six issues, I think. Tom Warzakowski and Glennis Ween provide other duties, and Louise Jones is the editor. We get to see the inside of Kitty and um, Ilyana's dorm room again. Yeah. Which um, always provides cool things about the time. <laughs> but I have a question. Who's in the poster? Who's in the poster? I asked my wife last night. I, I cannot figure. Her guess was Burt Reynolds. My guess is Tom Selleck. A really bad Tom Selleck. It's probably Tom Selleck. I mean, the New Mutants are all Magnum P.I. fans. So it makes sense it was Tom Selleck. My guess was Lionel Richie. <laughs> 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 but in the foreground, we see a very large and very fat and very content Garfield doll. Yeah. And Ilyana has um, conjured. Yeah, there's just a there's also a burning pentagram on the floor. <laughs> right. In case anyone's worried about that. Right. It turns out, readers, that um, the morning is the best time to cast spells if you're secretly a magus, as she calls herself later. Yes. Or is called later. But she's worried about Kitty. Kitty's been gone for a few days now. Nobody's heard from her. So she astral projects herself all the way to Massachusetts to check in and see what's going on. Well, she's just basically concerned about Kitty. Hasn't heard from her. And also it's the fact that, like, everyone else is gone. You know, the X-Men have just kind of vanished. Nobody's around. So it's up to them, which uh, hijinks are going to ensue while the folks are away. Right. And so uh, Kitty's able to, uh, or Ileana is able to enter a room where Kitty is tied down and being uh, taunted by that old bitch, Emma Frost. And here, oh man, this is this is cold blooded. This is my favorite Jerry McDade moment. <laughs> you picture me doing this with my my teddy bear, just, pretending it's Kitty. Poor Doug Ramsey. Yeah, Doug Ramsey gets exposed. In a very uncool way by Emma Frost. Emma Frost has done a lot of cruel and mean things in her time. This might be the worst because unknowingly to Doug, she's showing Kitty the image that she's projecting into Doug's head where Doug is totally making out with Kitty while dressed in a tuxedo. A white tuxedo with that. Yeah. Nerd. He's got the ruffles. Kitty is surprised to hear that Doug loves her. Yep. Based on what the White Queen's telling him, telling her. And the White Queen's saying, you shouldn't be surprised. You love him, too. Which Kitty denies. But I'm just, I'm disappointed that Colossus didn't get to see Doug. Because Doug's actually standing there just making out with the air. He is. Looking like a total idiot. <laughs> Somewhere in space and time, Colossus is high-fiving the air. Like, yes. I really don't like Emma Frost. But Why I'm does sure. everyone hate the Emma Frost? She is the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
She is not old bitch. <laughs> she is my old bro. <laughs> I hope you read in that voice. <laughs> I hope that's your Colossus voice. <laughs> uh, so these two have a great exchange. Um, Kitty's not really, she knows that her goose is cooked, but she's not giving in. Yeah. She's not making anything easy for the, oh, ho. And she's dishing out insults left and right, like a mouse. And ultimately, the White Queen plays her ace. She blackmails Kitty. Yeah. She could force Kitty to just do what she wants. Against her, uh, yeah. So, um, telepaths are the worst, man. But she basically says, um, well, I could just make you do all this shit, but that would be a lot of work. So how about I just threaten your family instead? If you don't cooperate, I'll make things miserable for your mother and father. That's how Jerry got me to do the podcast. I couldn't, Sean. I know. I'm sorry. Hmm. If it makes you feel better, I would have threatened your family. There you go. <laughs> just. Oh, I'm glad. So, um, Kitty reacts because she sees Ilyana's astral form, which surprises Ilyana. She didn't think it'd be visible. But for some reason, Kitty can see it and it surprises her. Yeah. And the White Queen's like, what, what, what's going on behind me? And she turns around, sees Ilyana's ast- astral form, <laughs> sees Ilyana's oh, ass. Oh, yes. <laughs> and blasts that ass. <laughs> she sees her astral form. And I, I don't, she has some power where she can project bolts. Yeah. I guess if she knew, she recognized it was her astral form, she could side blast it or something. Yeah. We'll say that it's comics. Yeah. But she completely shatters it. What are the repercussions of that? Well, we're about to find out on the next page. This is unique. I have not seen this layout before in a, in New Mutants book drawn by Salvi Sima, but the next five panels spell out Yarg, yep. which is Ilyana's reaction. And in each panel is each letter is a panel and you see one of the five new mutants reacting and running to Ilyana's aid. And it's all pink background. I know it's great panel. Cause even the silhouettes, you can tell which every single member is. Yeah. Wouldn't happen nowadays. That's a sign of good character design. They yeah. say, if you can identify the silhouette, I love the fact that Sam like, karate kicks the door open like a jackass and then immediately all immediately recoil because it's like the ghostbusters thing where there's like a big monster behind the door yeah uh which turns into a little monster right and flies flies away and then okay so when i was reading this yesterday before we did this this scene messed me the hell up because i was like You go along with these things and you're like, oh, they're X-Men, they're tough, you know, they're all prepared to see what they're seeing. If I was Cannonball, I would be shitting my pants watching demons fucking pour out of Ileana. They're coming out of her Right out of her face, man. Oh my god. She's in the middle of this little pentagram on her floor and she has demons billowing out of all of her orifices. I don't know if you picked up on this before, but when she cast the spell at the beginning... She's in this pentagram and it's silver, which gets talked about later in this arc. But here where the demons are pouring out of it, it's jet black at this point. And she's facing the wrong end. So evil things are happening. 
So uh, most of the new mutants run off to to deal with these demons that have now run into the mansion. Right. And but Danny walks into the room. Danny is boss, right? man. No shit. She walks would, no into way. this room and closes the door behind her. That God, is, she yeah. kicks ass, she man. I love Danny. Yeah. Like ah, she's awesome. So. Uh, while the new mutants are dealing with these demons, which turn out to be maybe not so dangerous, they, they deal with them pretty, without much effort. I, but isn't it weird that Bobby's bathrobe also turns into his power? Well, that's the thing. Initially, in, in these older new mutants issues, whatever he's wearing turns black. Okay. And has the Kirby crackle. Okay. Um, it's later, like in the X-Force years, that doesn't happen, right? Like you can still see his skin turns yeah. that color, but yeah. you can see his uniform. Yeah. And I never liked that because it, I don't know if it's ever explained or if they're just like, well, I went through all this trouble designing this cool new costume. I want everybody to see it. Yeah. We'll see once we get there. I don't, do, do you have any memory of that? Not really. Yeah. Cause like, I don't have much of a memory of Sunspot. Right. Pre having the costume. Yeah. So yeah, I just, so um, to me, it was always weird seeing him like this. Yeah. But I, I mean, like, what's he doing? He's running around naked, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So Cannonball uh, goes after a couple of them, winds up blasting a hole through a wall so they can escape outside because he's Cannonball. Right. And he gets embarrassed by the fact that he did this, and Amara bails him out, and he's like, good Lord, look at her, all this control over her powers, and she has this, and I can barely even make a turn. He's frustrated because yeah. he's he's the oldest. He's the Colossus of the New Mutants. <laughs> he kind of is. But, I mean, he, like, of everybody, he feels like, as the oldest, he should have the most responsibility and he should have the greatest control of his powers. And he doesn't really, I mean, he's not really the leader yet. And Danny is clearly becoming the leader of this team. And I'm sure he assumed he would be the leader once Karma was out of the picture. And it's not working out that way, but he, he's like not getting anywhere learning how to control his powers. Yeah. And it's frustrating for him. And then to see the girl that you're madly infatuated with kicking ass has got to be doubly embarrassing. Yeah. Especially at the age of 17. Yeah. So then it cuts to Danny back in the room with magic as demons are pouring out of her. They grab onto her, and in a desperate attempt, she reaches into their mind and pulls out what they fear the most, and it is a very demonic-looking Ileana Rasputin. Yes, who seems to take physical form, Yep, which is surprising to Danny and confusing, because her spirit forms can't... They're, they're just images. But it picks her up and carries her into her bed, and... uh she kind of regains her senses and is thinking that can't be Ileana. She's, I, it looks kind of like her, but it can't be her because Ileana isn't. And Ileana's like, thanks for the vote of confidence, Danny. And she thinks to herself, even though it's not deserved. Right. Tough. Another, add another one to the pile of new mutants who hates themselves, hates who they are secretly inside. Yeah. And hopes that nobody else can see it. We think that all the turmoil is over, but there's still the aftermath to deal with. And Sam and the rest of the New Mutants walk in, and Sam says, We're fine, Danny, but we've got some questions for Ilya. 
So now the cat's kind of out of the bag. They knew she was weird, but they didn't know this kind of shit yeah. was going on. Yeah. Fiery pentagrams on the floor. Demons coming out of your eyes. It uh, It's concerning. She kind of glosses over that part of her. Right. And goes right to the fact that, look, we can talk about this later. Right now, Kitty is in the clutches of the White Queen. And somebody needs to do something about it. So Danny decides, well, when this kind of shit happens and the X-Men aren't around, we're supposed to call the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. I love that. Bobby. <laughs> he calls the, we get to call the Fantastic Four. I'm going to see if I can get their autographs for my sister. Right. It brought me right back to the um, Team America. Yeah. He did this. He pulled the same <laughs> move. Does he even have a little sister? <laughs> If he does, she has not shown up yet. <laughs> He's so he plays it so cool, but oh man, every once in a while the facade kind of slips. So he contacts Fantastic Four; they're not there, and uh, talks to the the robot receptionist. Yep, and then good old Jarvis, good old Jarvis, not computer cinematic yes. universe Jarvis, yes. not British dandy Agent Carter Jarvis, right. I do kind of like that Jarvis, though. Yeah? I do. I like that he needs to be home. He's kind of like Sean. Like, I don't care what's happening. I don't care what has to be recorded for the next recording. I need to be home by 7 o'clock for my darling wife <laughs> slash girlfriend. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I mean, you know, wife for Jarvis, girlfriend for you. So it's adorable. I yeah. love it. I love the commitment he has to his regular life. Does he have a regular life? It's regular by McDade standards. Okay. I didn't know if it was a put on. Hmm. Still haven't answered that question for me in that show. We're getting off track. Oh, we are. So, so the Avengers aren't around. And so they're like. Because we know where they are. Yeah. They're in Secret Wars land. Oh, my God. They're selling tank toys. <laughs> oh, my God. I hate it so much, Jerry. So uh, they decide, well, Ilyana decides, if there's nobody else that can do the job, we're going to do the job. And Sam's like, whoa. And he uses this metaphor, which is referred to like 15 more times, where they're a really awesome high school varsity team, but they're about to go up against the pros. Yep. And that doesn't usually work out too well. I love the fact that how they get there yes. is by they, they, like, smash open their piggy bank yeah. and get bus fare. So, come on. What do you think Bobby's piggy bank looks like, by the way? The son of a millionaire oil tycoon. <laughs> you think he's he's got, like, the spare piggy bank. He's like, this is the piggy bank I show my friends. I'll break this one open. <laughs> Meanwhile, his, his mattress is lined with $100 bills, probably. But this is a superhero. See, like, I can't relate to Quinjets and shit. Right. But having to get bus fare, I'm like. That's a superhero team I can get behind. Kitty's life's in danger. It's going to take us six hours to get there. And they lay out all the reasons why they can't use their powers yes. to get there. So good. Yeah. Uh, but they'd have just enough bus fare to take the bus to Massachusetts with a little leftover for expenses. And everybody just kind of looks at Bobby like, yeah, expenses, man. Forget this is going to be awesome. <laughs> Road trip. Take yeah. down that old bitch. It's going to be so exciting until they get to the bus station. And Amaro is like, 
where have you taken me? (laughs) (laughs) And Sam's like, I know I came here. I stopped here on my way to the mansion. It's so magical. No, he's like, I almost turned around and went back home. (laughs) But they survived the bus station and they uh, hop the bus. And now we get the little, um, Oh, where is everybody's relationship to each other? Talk. Yes. And I dig this part, man. Not much action here, but you get to see the reset. You get, okay, Danny's now the leader. You get that little talk between her and Sam. And then you get the reset where about Dan, where um, Cannibal basically goes through the whole thought process of like she is the much better leader, which I disagree with because of what happens in the next two pages. Oh yeah, yeah. Because Danny is like super quick, super smart. Pulled up the you know any plans on um, the Massachusetts Academy so they could be ready. She's formulating a plan. She's getting all that stuff ready. And then uh, you cut to to Sam basically getting up, and you see Bobby and Amara. He's you know pulling Bobby's pulling the smooth thing, showing her all the sights, really pissing Sam off in the background. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, Sam goes to check on Ileana and uh, on Rain and Rain. And uh, I just love this whole. He's basically like Rain. Why do you look so sad? And she's like, Well, look at her. She's a witch. <laughs> she's all pissed off at Ileana. Yeah. And they start going back and forth about um, their religion, and and you know Sam talks about the fact that like the the way that he was raised, like everything. I mean, basically, he's not saying that everything that Rain was brought up with is wrong, but just that she's looking at it from a completely awful perception. And it, it, like, not and not putting it on her. He's you know because she mentions yeah. Reverend Craig, and he's like, that guy sounds like a douche. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like he was being mean to you, but we get so much about Sam and about even more about Rain from this. Like, we find out Rain's mom died during childbirth, and I don't remember if Moira mentions that in the graphic novel yeah. or not. But um, that this fucking Reverend Craig guy right blames Rain for her mom dying, tells her that, and tells her it's because she's demon spawn. And that her whole life will be lived trying to save her mother's soul from hell. Like, how she lives her life will determine what happens to her mom. Because that's a normal thing to tell children. Or even adults. And so she lays all this out for Sam. And Sam, I mean, he's really there for her, I think. And he... It's it's tricky because I think he's got to know that she's really into him. Right. And it doesn't seem like he's into her at this point. But I do think that, like, you see a side in their relationship where it's like, I know that the whole time that she's been into them. But there's a point where, like, Sam even goes, like, I'd really like you to meet my family. Yeah. And invites her back to Kentucky with him. And she's like, oh, I'd love to do that. And I think it's also because he recognizes that maybe more than, like, being enamored with Sam, she just needs people that right. care about her, that aren't right. Reverend Craig, that aren't terrible. And she needs to be opened up to like different perspectives and, and, you know, views and kind of getting out from that. And I think Sam's the perfect person for that. Cause he's kind of got some of the similar religious upbringing, but just not in the awful way that rain had it. Right. 
Yeah, and he's totally there for her just when she needs it. Yeah. It's a pretty great moment. It doesn't fix her hang-ups about no. her powers or about Ileana's powers, but... Um, At least she knows that somebody's there. Right. Like, it's the first time that, like, she knows that... I mean, I think she knows that they care, but I think she needs to see it more often. Yeah. You know? She's kind nice of forgotten, kinda. Yeah. I think, because she's so young but and so reserved that I think she's like the family dog, literally. You know, like they... They make like the time Sam pets her, and yeah. they're always like, "Go find the ball, go find the ball, Rain." You know, and and they forget that she's struggling. Yeah, with all this shit. So then we cut to them actually at the Massachusetts Academy, and it's a pretty sweet page layout. I actually really like this sequence of events because you see like the outside of the campus. Yeah, everyone's walking around, and then it shows you like later on that you see the the. Um, the building that they're breaking into and you just slowly see this floor start to melt away into a bigger hole. And then Amara pops out of it in her magma form. It's a pretty sweet looking panel sequence. You know, I was pretty hard on this art team when it switched from a cloud inking to Mandrake. But, um, I think that this page is as good as anything else we we've seen in this series through the first 15 issues. Yeah. I love this page, man. Like the, the Amara's pose yep. is so fucking cool. I, I, I love it. Like nothing really happens. They just break right. in. No, it's, yeah, but, but, it's but just, like you, I just like looking at this page. Yeah. I don't know why everything looks like it's the Death Star inside, but it doesn't matter. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's so cool. So then, uh, everybody else hops out of the little magma sized. Uh, I don't even know how to, they, they, they just pile out of the hole. hole. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. They all climb. They all climb out of Amara's hole. Yep. God. Her mud hole. <laughs> no. And uh, and and rain converts into her wolf form, and um, and they follow her nose all the way to Kitty. This was a little weird yeah. that, that they would follow her nose to Kitty because. Yeah. They're so happy to see her when Ileana reaches to hug her. They find it's just a hologram. Maybe the White Queen, because she's the one who's got Kitty. Oh, bitch. Was messing with Rain's senses telepathically. Maybe. Maybe it's not even really a hologram, just a mental projection. Yeah, there you go. But they pop the lights on, and and Emma Frost even says, surprise. <laughs> like, right? like, surprise! <laughs> Yo, ass is busted! <laughs> <laughs> Who is the bitch now? Right? Yaha's the bitches. I love that. New Mutants lose though. round one. Yeah, but I love the very last panel because Magic's just like, all right, you surprised us, but I'll move your fucking school to hell if I have to, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> See you next issue. Me- There's an ad for a new comic coming out. Power yes. Pack. With, yeah. Uh, written by Louise Simonson, penciled by Joan Brigman. June. June. Sorry. June. Yep. I, uh, she's got a cover coming up. 
Yeah. I put it on our Facebook page today and told her we were going to be talking about it. Nice. And I was hoping she would like chime in maybe with a story or something, but she didn't. She just liked it. If you want to hear her talk, though, you can listen to the fabulous Wendy Freeman's double page spread. That's she right. She was recently on an episode discussing the creation of the Power Pack, so you should go back and check that out. Because Wendy will be joining us in a few weeks to discuss some little story called Demon Bear? Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Oh my god, Sean, I'm so excited. Me too. I've been waiting years to read this now. So, um, we've been joking about all my comics crushes all these years. And they've always been, like, fake, made-up drawing people. But June Brigman is awesome. Oh, yeah? I have a mad crush on her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she's really cool. And Power Pack was like maybe I wouldn't dig it as a forty year old reading Power Pack for the first time. But as a, a ten year old I thought it was a pretty awesome book. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I plan to ha- give that one to my kids to read for sure. I think they'll like it. And they cross over with the X Men like all the time. Yeah. Awesome. Scripted by Louise Simonson. Bam. And it even says Simonson here. She's credited as Louise Jones. Right. In the front of the book and Louise Simonson here in the ad at the end. I just noticed that. Drama. So that brings us to the next issue of New Mutants, New Mutants number 16. X-Men! Sean, New Mutants number 16 has a cover by Tom Mandrake. Which shows for the first time the Hellions. Yep. Any fan of the New Mutants knows about the Hellions, the evil analog to the New Mutants. And surprisingly, there are like direct analogs to their powers for some of these guys, which I always thought was really cool. That's the way to go, man. A weird coincidence, but cool. This issue is titled Away Game. And it is written by Chris Claremont with pencils by Sal Buscema. We have two inkers on this book, Tom Mandrake and Kim DeMolder. Sean, Kim DeMolder should be a familiar name to you because you just read Marvel graphic novel number 16, 18, The She-Hulk. Oh. That was inked by Kim DeMolder, who is a dude, just so you know. But, uh, oh, man, he and John Byrne created magic on the page. That was one big Marvel graphic novel to just get She-Hulk naked. Semi-naked. She was fully nude. Oh. They strip-searched her. Oh. Remember? I do now. And then Dum Dum Dugan came out, and he was all, God damn it, what are you guys doing, perverts? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's always the responsible one. So we pick up where we left off. Um, Yeah. White Queen. With her big spotlight. Yeah, she's got the drop on the team to... Hellfire minions come running out in their little uh, crash dummy suits. And Magma is the first to react. And she creates an earthquake. This was weird, but it's comics. She creates an earthquake that um, disrupts the electrical system and shuts the lights out. And in that moment, the team escapes out the door. And um, somebody just throws the emergency switch on on the wall. And they've got lights again. I didn't realize they were emergency lights. I was like, he just flipped the light switch and they came back on? It's so awesome, though. It's very Scooby-Doo-esque. It is. And I'm okay with it. Making Hellfire guards look like chumps should be the new... I mean, 
Would you rather be like, oh, I'm the guy that got distracted by the earthquake and the lights went out on me? Or do you want to be the guy yeah. that gets stabbed in the fucking face by Wolverine? <laughs> I really like that whenever the Hellfire Guards are interacting, when there's nobody else around, yeah. they're always calling each other by their first name. Like, they, they're given names. Yeah. They're not just faceless And I love goons. the fact that the one... Like, this guy has to be the smartest Hellfire Club guard ever because the one guy's like, should we tell Emma Frost if the kids are gone? And he's like, dude, she's a mind reader. Of course she already knows. And then Emma pops up and she's like, I do. And I'm like, that guy has to just be like, whoo. <laughs> yeah, watch me put one over on the old bitch. <laughs> so then um, this, all, this scene also bothered me a lot, too, because... Kitty is being held motionless. Like, she knows everything that's going on, but she can't move. And I can't imagine, I mean, how badly she must want to just fucking murder Emma. Yeah. And she can't move a muscle. Like, how powerless. It's amazing to me that Kitty, seriously, I don't know how she did it. Because in Astonishing X-Men, or whenever she pops back up in the future, when Emma's, you know, back around and on the team, I would have just fucking phased right through her head and punched her brain through the back of her skull like yeah. there's no fucking way right so aunt who was on episode 12 talking about the the gifted run with us and and we were talking about kitty's relationship with emma frost we know he's reading these books yes we hope he's soaking all of this up and he's going oh now i get it <laughs> because she sucks and Kitty even says, like, I can't believe that when we found out you were in a coma, I felt bad for you. I right? stuck up for you. When everybody else wanted to piss on your frozen <laughs> body, I stuck up for you. And Emma Frost even throws, throws that back in her face. Man, there are some supremely bitchy looking Emma Frost panels in this comic. Yeah, she's, oh man, she is loving this. Oh yeah. She is loving putting Kitty through all this. What kind of a piece of shit dresses in this outfit, boozing it up, torturing a 14-year-old? Um, yeah, man. She's the worst. I, you know what? She's not even the worst in this issue. I really dislike her, but Sean... You gotta, you gotta agree that there's something coming up that shows us that there's somebody worse yeah. in this book. So, um, the new mutants are aiming to escape from this situation and they see a couple of female Hellfire Club right. guards, which I don't think we've seen to this point. We haven't, man. And, uh, they, they look in to be just the Hel same size yeah. as Danny and Ilyana. Inner Circle Hellfire Club, very, uh, forward thinking. That's right. So they reach out of the door and they grab them and pull their masks off. And, um, and Danny conjures their worst fear to bring them in line. And it's Emma Frost, a demonic Emma Frost yelling at them. Yep. <laughs> and, and they kind of like turn it against her. They're like, you're worse than Emma Frost, which really hits Fuck Danny yeah, hard. It's a really great moment too. Cause yeah. it's like, yeah, there is a point where like, you know, much like the uh, clerk's conversation about the construction workers on the Death Star. <laughs> right. Like, there's kind of a lot of, like, these are just, you know, I mean, look at Cannonball. He was just a guy that needed a job because his dad died in a mine. So he gets locked up with the, the Hellfire Club, you know, or the, you know, yeah, the inner circle. Well, you know, the guards. Yeah. I keep on wanting to say, I keep on going to say Imperial Guard. <laughs> so 
Um, so yeah, I did Danny, kind of... and you, we kind of forget that she had been struggling with her power yeah. earlier on. Like she kind of didn't like it because she had turned it on magma with kind of the, the same effect happened. Well, think about and, every time and to, been... um, to Sean, yeah. like er, in oh, issue yeah. two, yeah. like early pages of issue two. And the only time she's ever conjured up something nice. It backfired in her face. Yeah. That damn palm the tree. palm tree, man. Out. Bobby's making out with chicks underneath oh, palm trees. I don't think they were just making out. So, um, so yeah, she's right back to square one. Like, she's really been almost the most effective one in combat lately with her yeah. powers. It had been used to great good, but now the dark side of that is rearing its head again. But Ileana snaps her out of it, saying, hey... Don't feel too bad because we just completely stripped these two girls naked in front of the whole team. Here, put one of their uniforms on. <laughs> they put. I love the fact they switched uniforms completely with them. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, and you and you see in the background, Bobby's just like dusting his hands off. Yeah, job well done, guys. <laughs> and then uh, Magna, Magna. Magma blows a whole, another hole through the floor so that they can get down even further into the generator room that supplies the electricity to the school. Blows a hole through it. Everybody scatters. Like you would. Like you would. And the whole place goes dark. They forget that this whole thing is built around a, like <laughs> right. 1800s era pre-electricity. There were probably oil lamps everywhere in the building. Plus, think about all those poor students. Like, I'm going to erupt a fucking volcano underneath your school. We got to get our friend back. Right. Yeah. But I, so this school, unlike the Xavier school, I need Claremont does to go have back normal time, kids there. Time. And just, I want a series that goes along with these that is just from the perspective of people who have been caught in the crossfire <laughs> of X Men <laughs> stories. Yeah. Every issue would end up with the person dead. <laughs> some kid's whole life is ruined at the massachusetts academy because he fails his finals because the power went out and his alarm didn't go off the next morning join us next month in issue 14 of the unfortunate x victims where angus mcwerter meets his bitter end <laughs> <sighs> we should do it yeah you can draw right no. me either oh well fuck it like that, the, we could show the whole story of how the homeless girl wound up. Like, but we, you could uh, always, you could make it. A she was already dead. That wasn't Claremont's fault. <laughs> but you could always make a positive spin on it. Yeah. Anyways, back like, to these poor unsuspecting. <laughs> so, so Sam and Amara sneak outside, and you see an overhead aerial drone-like view, much like oh. the moments before. Any um, U.S. designated terrorist is about to meet their end, which is a weird twist. Yeah, right? I tables are turned. I loved that panel. Like when I got to that panel, I was like, "That is fucking cool as hell that they did that." They look like little eight-bit characters. Yeah, and it looks awesome just because it's like you know. That that is so of the time. Like, that was the technology of the time that this book was created. Yeah. And so it was like, this is fucking cutting edge. Like, it looks cool. Like, I actually really like that. I was going to text you when I was reading it yesterday where I was like, that looks awesome. Did you know this character prior to this book? Which character I, would that be? Jetstream. 
Yeah, no. Okay. I assume he's one of the earliest Hellions to die. Yeah. Probably. He's probably not allowed. You have to understand my knowledge of the Hellions is them being used as, like, fodder for Trevor Fitzroy to open a portal. Right. And I I don't know if he's even still around at that point. Editor's note. Jetstream was there for Trevor Fitzroy's red wedding and perished in the battle. But I mean, that would, so I would have never, I didn't even know that, that, um, a particular character were about to be introduced to, like, I didn't know that that's where they start. I mean, you have to understand. You didn't know him from Adam. I didn't know that Cannonball started off as a Hellfire guard. Like, none of that. Yeah. This is all very exciting for me. You're so lucky. I know. And I'm, and I'm equally happy that, um, we've had quite a few people who have started to read the New Mutants because of them listening to the podcast. Yeah, it's it's rewarding yeah. to know that. I mean, I I'm sure we don't do a good enough job to do it full justice. We do the best we can, but like it's do even we? better. No, okay, we don't. We do a terrible Sometimes we get job. sidetracked very easily. Yeah, and I'll probably cut all this out. But uh yeah, it's it's good to know that just from hearing us talk about it this way, that it's enough for somebody to pick it up and try it out because these back issues are not expensive No, and they are definitely worth the dollar you're going to pay. I mean, as long as you commit yourself to being in that place when you read it, I think that's the key. Like I said yesterday, when I was re going over these, I, I put on that new order vinyl you gave me. Yeah. Made it very time specific. I knew what I was doing. (laughs) Awesome. So, Ilyana and Danny are, are traipsing around in their, uh, Hellfire garb, and a couple guards come across them and they freak out, forgetting that they're disguised. I would, I probably would too, though. I'd probably panic. I would be 100% convinced they, the, the disguise wasn't going to work anyway. (laughs) But, uh, they play it just cool enough to get out of there. And then, since they've already been found once, they take their masks off. Right. But uh, they have been discovered by something a little more fearsome than Hellfire Guards. Something decidedly feline and decidedly crawling along the ceiling. Yep. Bobby and Rain are uh, going through the complex and they get to a door. Bobby's all, I got this. Powers up. Hasn't been in the sun for a couple days. So Rain's kind of like, hey, you should probably not be, you know, using all your energy. And he's, nah, don't worry about it. And then he gets crommed right through the door. Okay, so now we are two for two on tearing doors off the hinges and being yep. shocked by what's behind it. I'm fully in favor of not going through any more doors. Yeah. Ceilings and floors, that's the way I would go. And it is, they tell you in a dialogue box that it is Thunderbird's fist yep. that does the rest. Thunderbird, Sean. What the fuck? I know. I thought he was dead. And I'll be damned if that doesn't look like Thunderbird standing in the doorway. Minus the flashy tasseled costume. That's been replaced by a a pink one. I do like that Rain takes him down. Yeah. Because he doesn't notice the state changer part. It catches him off guard. So as she jumps on him, she's attacking him. She shifts into her human form and takes him out. But then she gets uh, like a little teleport 
black light thing that gets put over her. I don't know how you would describe that or even who this character is. They don't mention her by name they just call yet. Her Jenny. Oh, she does. I'm roulette, she says. Oh, yeah. I see. I love this. They they run into this team for the first time and you get they you know, they attack each one separately and that gives that character enough time to monologue right. and tell you who they oh, are yeah, or what their awesome. powers are. <laughs> but roulette throws these black discs that make really bad luck for whoever they land near. And a bookcase falls on Danny. Yep. So I you mean rain. Oh, I do. Bobby goes to rescue Rain, and he lifts the bookshelf off, and then Roulette throws a little one of her little black discs on his back, and then he's like, oh, my back! My back! And and Roulette's covering her mouth like, tee-hee! She gets off on wrecking people. There, there are a couple... We're going to find out that this team of Hellions, these are the Hellions that they're running into, the, a couple of them are really into doing bad things. Yeah, because even Thunderbird is like, geez, that's kind of... You don't really yeah. sound bad about what you just did. He's in a lot of pain. But yeah. Bobby, don't worry. He's uh, he's a smart man. He's going to use this to his advantage <laughs> sure a little later is. on. He is a smooth one. He's been watching a little too much Magnum. Yeah. Oh, Danny is knocked low by her telepathic Psychic bond yeah. with, um, with Rain when she's in her wolf form. And uh, she's been hurt by Rain being hurt. And then Ilyana is snatched by this being on the roof who turns out to be kind of a purple version of Rogue. More cat-like. Rain, you mean? <sighs> We're really bad with names this Oh, my morning God. For some reason. It's too early. Yeah, Cat's um, Eye. Cat's Eye is her name. And she has a weird, not quite Yoda-esque, but... A very strange way of talking. Yes. And she says things like, intruder, go hushabye. Yep. And then we get an even more bottom of the barrel <laughs> power set with the introduction of Tarot, a person who uh, can bring tarot cards to life. I liked Tarot as a kid. Yeah. Um, I read this issue a lot. This is one of the few issues I was able to pick up before the first one I bought off the shelf. Like this is one of the few back issues I had and I read it a lot because um the Hellions are gonna play a big role in the New Mutants book in a couple of years. Yeah. And so I'd always go back this was like your first introduction to it, and I would be reading this all the time. I like Tarot because Tarot and Thunderbird, we're gonna find out, are the like the two and Cat's Eye are the kind of the good guys on the team, the ones that are there by circumstance. Yeah. And not because they wanna be there. Like Emma Frost gave them their opportunity so they feel loyal to her to an extent. And then you have Roulette and Empath, who we haven't met yet, who are like evil fucks. Yeah. Yeah, Empath's evil fuck right from the get-go. He, I hate Empath, dude. Yeah. I hate Empath. Uh-oh, that tells me <laughs> that something bad is coming. Uh, he's horrible. Yeah, like, but... you know how you're freaked out about karma's power yeah i think his is every bit as bad okay and i feel the same way about empath that you feel about karma like he should not exist okay but yeah so sam and amara run into empath on the very next page and he's kind of like you're not going anywhere and you're not going to hurt me because you love me don't yeah, he you? gives me a real purple man vibe I wrote that down, Sean. I wrote the same thing. I was yeah, like, he's just like the purple man. Yeah. yeah, that's like, 
anybody who's read the Bendis's Alias series, which is a great or series, who read Emperor Doom uh, yep. graphic novel, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like you know the Purple Man's deal, and this guy is the same. He can or control. There was an episode of the X Men animated series where he showed up at Scott's orphanage when he went to visit it, and he turned all the kids uh, in the orphanage evil. Fucker, I know. This no guy... man is an island, I believe, is the title of that episode. <laughs> so, Purple Man, th- that's what this guy is. Um, he's a young version. So, um, like, his, he's even less in control of his id. Like, he gets off on making people subservient to him. Yeah. Even his own teammates, as we're going to see. But Sam, um, uh, Sam KOs him with a punch, and right as he does that, he's in front of a window, unfortunately, in Jetstream. Swoops by, smashes through the window, runs into Sam and blasts him through a wall, which brings a lot of the attention from right. the people outside who were like, hey, what's going on with all the power outage? And we get our favorite Claremontism of all time. Another tree. Yep. <laughs> Bites Sam, the dust. Sam recognizes it right before it's about to happen, and he's like, oh, this is the last oak tree I ever smashed through. And he blasts and outmaneuvers it, and Jetstream runs right into it. Head first, he is out. You know, I got to say, before all this happens, we owe Doug Ramsey a little bit here, I have to admit, because he breaks Empath's concentration, or he breaks Sam and Amara's uh, hold, Empath's hold over them, just enough for Sam to absolutely snap when he sees what Empath did, the rage on his face, man. I really dig that panel. But yeah, this this Cannonball Jetstream rivalry is cool, because they basically have the same power. Um, the difference being that Jetstream is a cyborg, so he's got like bionic strength, and Sam's just nigh invulnerable while blasting. Right. But Jetstream seems to be a lot faster, and he seems to be more maneuverable too. Yeah. And that's another source of frustration for Cannonball. But they're always getting the best of each other. You know, it's kind of an equal match. Well, the other thing, too, that also shows a lot in um, Sam's character is while him and uh, Jetstream are having that battle, Empath takes over Amara and has her power up, and she starts shooting, like, lava bursts at, at Cannonball. So he's trying to maneuver him, and uh, Jetstream winds up getting hit with one. Yeah. And he's fallen unconscious. And Sam's like, he wouldn't catch me, but that's not how we're supposed to be. And he goes down and winds up saving Jetstream. And, uh, and then he, you feel like the that, good guys are about to win now. He hits Empath again. Yep. You think they're about to win. And then White Queen comes out and shuts that shit all down. Yeah, she starts messing with everybody's mind. So there's a big fight with Emma controlling her mind. Ooh, ooh, we cannot skip ahead of the fact that she makes Sam see her as Amara. Yeah. But Amara, who had grown up in Kentucky and is wearing only an apron, yep. and is all grown up. Way to go, Sam. She knows what she's doing. We also see another, um, Ileana uses her soul sword again. Yeah. She oh, uses it on one of Tarot's conjuring. So yep. Tarot can use her tarot cards, which she's like totally into. She reads them like... Like a fortune teller would. Yes. But she can also project what's on the card into real life. So she's got some monstrous thing, and Ileana slashes it with his soul sword and defeats it. Yep. And but- as she's defeating it, she's kind of knocked down. Emma uh, runs into the room, 
And Ileana's like, fuck, no, I ain't getting stopped by her. And they uh, teleport. They teleport away. And then in the next issue, you get the final showdown and the getaway. Spoilers. Well, New Mutants number 17. X-Men! As I mentioned, June Brigman penciled and Bill Sienkiewicz inked. It's a good-looking cover, actually. I, really I dig like this it. cover. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no background. It's just Jetstream and Cannonball kind of head-to-head flying. Jetstream is literally flying circles around Cannonball and punching him in the face. But what I dig is the corner box. Yeah. I wonder if that corner box isn't all Sienkiewicz. Yeah. I'm not sure. But you've got the whole team kind of scrunched into one corner of the corner box, ducking out of the way of Cannonball blasting past them. It's pretty sweet. Adorable. So, as mentioned before, this is entitled Getaway. This is same creative team. We've got Sal Buscema with the two anchors, Mandrake and DeMolder, uh, Orzakowski, Ween. And now we see listed Anne Nocenti as the editor. I forgot to mention that she is co-listed as editor of the last issue. Okay. It was Jones and Nocenti. So, um, Jetstream, not happy with Empath. No. Empath almost got him killed. And he kind of shoves him and yells at him. So Empath has taken a beating today. But he is not deterred. He uses his own power against Jetstream and kind of makes him apologize to him. Right. And who knows what else what else he would have made him do had he not had the White Queen not arrived. Oh man. I think we know. They're getting into position. You can see on the next page. They're getting into position oh, for wow. what would have come next. <laughs> you ain't kidding. <laughs> The White Queen comes in, tells him to knock it off. Empath is even kind of antagonistic to the White Queen. Like Pretty he, ballsy. He is. He's, uh, his, he's too big for his britches. And the White Queen kind of is thinking about him. She's like, he's pretty badass. Like, he'd probably make a great member of the Hellfire Inner Circle someday. But at the same time, I'm kind of worried he might murder me in my sleep. Yeah. Or worse, make me murder myself in my sleep. I'd be concerned about that as well. So now we see Thunderbird's character kind of coming through. He's like, hey, I'm not real cool with us forcing these guys to join the team. He says basically like he doesn't, he's not worried about the New Mutants. He's like, I don't want to deal with oh, Bush right. League, man. I want to deal with the X-Men. They're the ones that owe me for my brother's life. Right. And you're like, what? Right. Yes, this what? is James Proudstar, brother of the original Thunderbird, younger brother, as we'll come to learn. And I do think that in the classic X-Men issues, we do see some some story, some backstory told between these two, yeah. uh, which I always really liked. Editor's note, that was classic X-Men number three, where James Proudstar takes the body of John Proudstar for a warrior's burial and reveals that John had been a, a Vietnam veteran, thus providing an explanation for John's closed-off personality. And we will see in Uncanny 193, this is the beginning of a storyline that we will see come to its fruition in Uncanny 193. So everybody Sweet. mark this in your heads. This is where this that issue began. And then you see, um, while the whole little meeting is going on, Taro is, uh, flipping her cards and she finds one when she's thinking about the other mutants and it's the lover's card. Yeah. Will Ferrell and Rachel Dratch would love it. 
<laughs> Drop that in, Jerry. Maybe I will. Meanwhile, the new mutants are locked in their dorm room. Oh, yeah. All shacked up together. Isn't this quaint? Bobby's like, oh, my back. Oh, my back. My Won't back. somebody uh, do something about my back? And Rain's like, sure me. And he's like, no, 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 Kitty. It has to. Kitty, <laughs> Kitty has to. Do that. Kitty volunteers. Yeah. Why don't you lie down on the bed and I'll straddle you and rub your back for you. For a full one, two, three, four, f- five panels. Whoa. Before finally climbing off of him. Yeah, but leaving at, her head, well, yeah, her at, hand resting on his look back. Look at his face. He's, he's completed. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my God. He's, he was eating that up, man. The, the look on his face when she starts though, he's like, God, I'm smooth. Yeah. <laughs> but they're trying to plat, hatch a plan to get out of there and not really coming up with much. Yeah. And they've broken the news to Kitty that not only are the X-Men missing, but the Avengers and the Fantastic Four have also disappeared. And the White Queen shows up telepathically and is like, you guys aren't going anywhere. So then Danny wakes up and she's in a bad demonic place that turns out to be Limbo. She's about to be set upon by a bunch of scary looking demons when she conjures their worst nightmare. And who is it? But Sim. She knows Sim. She just had a run in with him. Yep. And not only that, but he's standing right behind her. Good day, sweetheart. Is this a visit or do you plan to stay? Next thing you know, we wake up. Ileana's in bed in a fancy new green dress. And Danny is dressed in buckskin, a very revealing buckskin. And it was Sim that's dressed them this way because Danny seems to be Ileana's champion. He thought he should dress her that way. It's probably incredibly racist at the same time, but he's a demon and that's what they do. Right. He refers to Ileana as the Magus and Danny takes note of that. And she's like, whoa, I didn't realize Ileana was this powerful. And Ileana's all busted up and bloody and bruised and she casts a healing spell where she creates this silver circle of fire. And Danny's kind of explaining what's going on based on her knowledge of of the mystic arts. Right. And um and she's like, oh, the fire is silver. That means it's good magic. But she's facing the wrong end of the pentagram, and that means it's black magic. So which is it? Can it be can it even be both? And kind of painting the picture of of Ileana herself. Like, is she good? Is she evil? Is she both? And Ileana uses a spell to heal herself and completely, like, regenerate herself. And they decide, okay, we're going back. We're going to go save our friends now. And they teleport back, and they see the Hellions and the New Mutants walking down the hall, arm in arm, all dressed as Hellions, having a good old time. And they're like, what the fuck? As you should. Ridiculous. And they realize that an entire year has gone by. And Sean, having not read these issues, you probably don't realize this. And I don't want to spoil anything. Should I make... Do I want to spoil anything? Are we going to see what happened in that year? I don't know if this is a possible future, had they not interfered, or if this is the future. Because if you... This could be a moment in the in a future comic. I guess I'll leave it at that. Is this when when Magneto takes over the school? Right. So, so we might actually we might see this panel again. I don't think we see this panel. I I went back and quickly flipped through the issues, but and I don't remember seeing this panel. 
Okay. It could be. So reading this now, of course, the good guys are going to win in the end, right? They're going to save their pals. They're going to go back to the X mansion. But so looking at this as reading this now, you're like, this is what's happened if they don't save them. Right. But the reality is this shit happens. Oh. And it didn't occur to me until I was reading it last night where I was like, oh, my God, they save them. But it doesn't prevent this from happening eventually. Okay. And I mean, it's a little spoilery, so I apologize, but it's not a super spoiler. But cool, man. I And who knows if Claremont's plan that far ahead. This is probably two or three years down the road. Okay. So I'll forget. By the time but we get in, to it. in like, continuity, episode 35, what? in continuity, this could be issue 40. Like that could actually be a year later. Okay. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. That's why season five was my favorite season of Lost. Moments like that. Yeah. When they'd be like. Right. And they'd see something. Yeah. So I don't know. What else do we want to say about this? They teleport again. After they've been caught by the White Queen, they teleport again, and this time they're only a week later from where they left previously. They try calling home, and there's still no answer. The X-Men are still not back from wherever they've disappeared to. And they sneak in. In the middle of the night, they sneak in and start waking up the new mutants, and they're like, we're busting you out. But the Hellions have found out. They've got Ilyana. Thunderbird has given her some kind of nerve pinch that's knocked her out. And now Magic and Mirage are both busted too. She yeah. going by she's not going by Mirage at this point yet. I guess no, she'd she'd still be psyche, but they, everybody just calls her Danny. So um it comes down to it the White Queen's gone. She's out of town and Thunderbird and Jetstream have decided we don't feel comfortable with you being here against your will. So how about this? We think we're the better team anyway. We challenge you to a duel one on one for the right to your freedom. And it's settled that Cannonball and Jetstream are going to be the guys to go toe-to-toe. Yep. Pretty sweet panels here. They're pretty much in the danger room. Do they mention by name what they call this place? They don't, but basically Sam in his head is like, this just seems like a, um, you know, earlier version of our danger room with a lot of bells and whistles and not the holographic stuff. Yeah, this is like the the Silver Age danger room that Cyclops and the original X-Men would have practiced in. And uh, Cannibal Cannibal breaks out a move that he learned from Nightcrawler where he, he stops blasting or he's falling and he grabs and swings on something and that uses that to change his blast direction. And we're going to see that. I think it's issue 23. We're going to see that play out anyway. So they fight and it's, it's like a four or five page fight and cannonball eventually gets the best of Jetstream, And he says, ha give up. And Jetstream's like, never, but cannonball said, you promise you let us go. And then party's over. Cause the parents just got home Oh yeah, and they're not too happy. Sebastian Shaw and Emma Frost have walked into the danger room and Emma's like, I didn't, agree to any of this so your contract is null and void these kids aren't leaving cannonball stupidly had he read danny's little report that she generated we know that he should not be blasting it's sebastian shaw but he does and he pays for it sunspot equally stupidly runs at him 
Danny gets mind blasted by Emma and she pulls up the thing. She like backfires Danny's own power on her and pulls up the thing she's most afraid of, which happens to be a mystic bear that slew her parents. Right. And that was discussed back in the graphic novel. I'm pretty sure. Uh, the fight's not going well. And Kitty sneaks off because no one's paying attention to her and figures if this is like the X-Men's original danger room, I can disrupt it by uh, phasing into the circuitry, which she does, and it does. And they make a run for it. They gather themselves with Cat's Eye helping Rain drag Bobby to the group. And Rain's like, why don't you come with us? You seem like a nice person. And Cat's Eye's like, no, I like it here. I'll just stay here. Yeah. Why don't you stay here? So those two, right there, they're kind of starting to strike up a little bit of a friendship. And that's pretty much it. They teleport back to the mansion. And, Sean, there's just one little new loose end to put out there. Danny starts getting taunted by uh, an image of the bear. It's now speaking to her, and she can only see it and hear it. And it says that soon it will come for thee just like it did her mother and father. Next, Bill Sienkiewicz's first issue, Danielle Moonstar's Last Stand, and much, much more in Death Hunt. And I guess we should very briefly discuss this last book we've been putting off for a couple. X-Men! Go read Uncanny X-Men Annual number 7, featuring the Impossible Man. (laughs) And I would say that it might be impossible for you to get through. I enjoyed it. We are very much of different minds on this book. This was penciled by Michael Golden with an army of inkers. Every page looks different. You will see some pretty cool pages and some of the ugliest pages ever published in a Marvel book. But there are a couple moments that made me chuckle. And the whole thing is basically the impossible man going to Earth for a scavenger hunt. And he's stealing important things. There's one page that sean you just flipped past that i loved because it's oh i don't have my nick fury and it's i think it's nick fury issue four it's a very famous sequence between him and contessa where they're basically doing it yeah but uh it's a very similar uh panel progression to uh starenko's original page so total homage to that uh that was my favorite thing from the whole issue and it is a fun, honestly, it is a fun annual, and Golden's work is obviously something that everyone should check out and enjoy, even, you know, with the army of inkers. I think the only reason that I didn't enjoy it as much as I should have is I'm not a fan of breaking the fourth wall, right. unless you're Zach Morris or Christian Slater in cuffs. <laughs> That's about it. Any other time the fourth wall gets broken, I'm just kind of, it takes me out of the story. And I like to imagine that these things are really happening while I'm reading them. Right. So sometimes when we get the wink and the nod. And the book is at such a, like both books are in such a good place right now. The story's just chugging along. Every, the great emotional beats that this annual just kind of felt out of place. And obviously it was assistant editor's month. So it you right. know, didn't really tie into anything. So it's fun. But go in it with that expectation. Don't expect it to be as high caliber as everything else. Well, the stakes have been really high in the other in the in the books, so it is kind of a nice um, chance to catch your breath and yeah. see them doing something fun. And you do see Emma Frost in the uh, coma at one point, right? 
Important to mention, this is where that conversation that Kitty has about her happens. Yep. And um, I believe they're playing baseball at the start of the issue. They are. So that's important to note. It is. And But for me, other than um, that, that homage to Starenko, the other standout moment in the book is the last couple pages where the impossible man is chilling at the pool with Ilyana and Kitty <laughs> and watching them eat bomb pops. And it's so blatantly sexualized. Like you take the text out of that and just, just like look at what's happening in the panels and you're like, what the fuck? So, oh my God. So yeah. my goal is to put this on the Tumblr with all of the dialogue erased and have our listeners <laughs> dialogue these pages. It's oh, a trip, man. No. It's a trip. And we get a Tom Selleck reference. We do. And it actually looks like him this it time. It does. So that's it. I'm not okay with this, Jerry. <laughs> I must have been so checked out by this that I even, how did this elude? That second panel of Ileana really going to town in that bomb pop is a uh... ah, shame on them. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, I would have. This is bad even for me. Yeah. Uh, the Avengers do make an appearance for Avengers fans. They do. Uh, Jarvis is there. Uh, that's twice we've seen Jarvis in one Great Expectations episode. How does that happen? That's exciting. That's the end. We will see you next time where we will be discussing the X-Men Micronauts miniseries with my boy Bean. I'm excited. I'm, I hope I didn't jinx it. I'm excited as well, Jerry. This will be your first Micronauts read. It will be. I'm going to have to hook you up with some the golden issues. Okay. You should read them. Anyway, uh, so join us next time. We'll be excited to have you. In the meantime, check out our Tumblr. We've been posting original art from all these books there. And it's greatexpectations.tumblr.com. And follow us on Twitter at GXPod. Find our Facebook group and our new Facebook page. Which, If you're not a Tumblr user, our, all of our Tumblr posts are going to our Facebook page. Yes. So you should check that out. Listen to our sister podcast. Bob Gar really does not like the sister I thing. Know. Uh, he doesn't like Storm, so we don't care. That's right. Check them out at the Earth 2 Network. Earth2network.podbean.com. And I that's all our business, I yeah. think. Sean, it's good to talk to you again. It's good to talk to you, Jerry. I like this weekly schedule. I see more of you now. Oh, shucks. <laughs> All right, you everybody. To be, you got to go hang out with past guests. I do. I'm going to go see Zach Cruzy. Hi, Zach. So, everyone, if you don't know who Zach Cruzy is, you should go listen to our episode where we talked the Wolverine miniseries with him. Episode 31. It was a popular one. People seem to like that one. People seem to like him. They do. All right, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Baby, you drive me so crazy. Baby, you drive me so crazy. Baby, you drive me so bad You got me running around town Like a woman on a warpath
This episode has been brought to you by Cry for the Moon Productions. Cry for the Moon!